just hold the mic to your face. Eat the mic. It'll be better. To I got it. Okay, so here we are. Here, come over. Come closer to me. This is great. So, hi, welcome. We're live at the Frog Pond in uh, Rochester, New York, on Park Avenue. Yeah, baby. Snow is falling this morning. It looks like uh, it looks like Christmas outside. I feel like this could be the holiday episode. It could be, but there's a, a nice shiny, like uh, chrome-looking silver wreath in the window. We're in a booth in the window. It's it's almost like being in Georgetown or something. You know, you could be, you know, or New York City. No, maybe not New York City. That's nice. Sure. There's, there's sort of a vibe to it here. Maybe yeah. you know, maybe out on the island, or maybe up in Westchester. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, it's true. It's a little trendy, kind of. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, welcome, welcome. Thanks for doing five days with Doug. It's great to be here. Are we doing this for five days? Yes, it's a five-day podcast. Wow, it's a long time. Wife. We'll be here for a long time. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we're just gonna. T- I figured it would be fun to talk because I like you. We've been friends now for, f- oof, for a long time. It seems for, like too long, doesn't it? For a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I thought it'd be a fun chance to talk since yeah, I'm, I I'm up in town. I'm honored to be on the podcast. I apologize to everybody if the sound of the frog pond makes this harder <laughs> to listen to. But thanks for following me in the spirit of, of that was the table. That's right. Still here. We're still here. Um, so one of the things we do on the podcast is we ask people, what have you been doing for the last five days? Last five days. So what have you been up to? The last five days. Well, we've been doing, let's see. So it's the end of the semester at Eastman. So there's been like, you know, lots of extra lessons for juries. And um, lots of exciting administrative meetings, which would really make this podcast incredibly boring. So we won't go into that. Um, writing a a 22-player arrangement of Fandango 13 for a group in Germany. Um, let's see. Uh, I watched the Cowboys lose to the Giants on Sunday uh, night, and that was it was that was kind of the low point of the last five days for me. And uh, what else am I doing? Uh, Assigning parts for all the major ensembles at Eastman, and uh, these are all exciting things. I'm sure the listeners are thrilled to hear this. You know, well, it's it was kind of you know day in life, you know that, that kind of thing. You know, well, it's interesting uh, because you are somebody. Um, we're good for now. We're good. Yeah, that was our waitress, who's I think being deferential now, holding microphones. <laughs> uh, you think about yourself as. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you're gonna put one word after your name. What is it? Clever. Because I think, well, I, I think of you as somebody who's, you know, I think of you, or I guess knowing you before we were friends, I think of you, I thought of you as like a, as a marimbist. Mm-hmm. And then maybe as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then now, now when I think of you, I probably think of you as a, a teacher first mm-hmm. and a percussionist. Well, I probably think of you as a teacher and a family man and then a percussionist. It's probably okay. how I line you up. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I, you know, it's, it's like someone asking me, what's your favorite movie or what's your favorite food? You know, it's like, we'll put one word after your name. I, um, I guess I don't ever think of myself as any one thing. I, I could certainly see how someone would call me a teacher first. I mean, that's... Well, and what, I think about that well, not based on what I see of your life, but... I think of you as somebody who's passionate about their students. And yeah, I think absolutely. Somebody who cares yeah, deeply yeah. about. And I think I've embraced that more. I mean, I've always, I think, been pretty good at it. And I realized that when I was younger, even though I wasn't sure that's what I was going to do. But um, 
and I realized how much I enjoyed that part of it, like you do, like, you know, building into their lives and watching them grow. And, you know, and then as I've gotten older and, and my students are out in the field and doing great things, and it's not just the great successes that are great about the whole thing. It's the, the relationships that you build through a lifetime, you know. So those are things when you're younger you don't, you, you don't understand because you can't understand it, you know. So I think for me, knowing that now, it changes how you even think about you know your freshman class and your new graduate students because you you know that this is you're building into something that's has um, a long leg to it so to say so um, so I love it I love you know, and I'm also very proud that I get to work with the kind of students I work with and to be a part of the school at Eastman you know so those kind of things are great but for me like it's always been in my mind to kind of if you want to call it a career or a you know of a, a symbiotic thing you know where first it started off as I, I can't see myself as only one thing. Like if I, if I were given the opportunity to say to go on the road and do 55 concerts a year and not teach, I know I wouldn't be happy because I like going on the road and doing a concert or doing something somewhere and then coming back and sharing it with the students or knowing that I have something to come back to that grounds me, you know? Not just the convenience of having it, not just the, whether it be financial convenience or even the emotional convenience of having a place that's a it's just the whole idea that um, you go out and you do your thing and you share your thing with others but then what you learned on those journeys all the information or all the experiences and all the whatever it's repertoire or whatever levels of excellence you bring it back with you and it totally informs what you do but it also it helps you share that with your students and you have a, a whole apple orchard of things that you can help your students to connect to. So, um, for me, that's you know, I guess it's it's a, this is kind of a funny story that maybe I've never told you, but I remember when I was a sophomore or junior, I forget what year it was, middle undergrad kind of thing, and I went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark with okay. my dad. You know, we went, my nice. dad and I were like, let's go, let's go see a flick. It was you know, it was over the holidays, and I went and and I first of all, I loved the movie because I loved the time period and I you know the whole sort of retro you know, RKO pictures, look of the movie and everything. But what I, what I think I loved about it that really kind of gave me a paradigm, which is very funny, but it's true, was watching him, Indiana Jones, be this guy that's out, create, you know, sort of searching for and finding relics or what do you call them? Uh, Treasures. He's arch archaeologists, you know, whatever uh -huh. they were, artifacts, important things. And the experience of doing that and understanding the cultures that he was in and bringing that back and then teaching, having just come back from some really cool adventure, Right, right. And then coming back to the classroom and being like, okay, now I'm going to tell you all about this ancient culture because I just walked through this cave that they were they inhabited and buried their treasure. Whatever, you know, and of course, but I thought about that and I really transferred that to like, you know, that's kind of what I want to be. I want to be like the Indiana Jones of percussion. I want to be this guy that's <laughs> going to go out and do these things and be able to bring it back to my cool class of students and say, hey, here's what it's like. To, here's what this is really like out there. Or here's what my experiences was with it here. Let me help you and yours to get there, you know, in some kind of way. So I think, I mean, it's weird, but that, I thought, I want to be a professor like that, you know? Oh, wow. You know, and that was like, I don't, I don't know that I am. Yeah, uh, but that's I, a, that's but, a I mean, aside from the spiders and the... Yeah, I don't like the spiders so much, you know, but, but I mean, um, but, you know, and, and to be honest with you, it's it, I, I've been able to do, but that was when I was a little kid, man, I was... 19 or 20 years old, but I, you know, if I were to look ahead and had seen all of the continents and states and things that, and people I've worked with, it would have been like, wow, man, that dream came true. You know what I mean? So for me, that's what it is. It's symbiotic in that way. And then the writing, um, I never like to call myself a composer because I, 
haven't really had any training as a composer in an official way, although I've had a lot of great talks with composers and a lot of great uh -huh. input from composers. Um, but I really love to write music. Um, it's fun for me, and um, the fact that it's useful to people is very satisfying. You know, But it wasn't like I was writing it because I was trying to win a Pulitzer Prize or because I felt like it was going to be important. I just did it because I liked it. And I needed to kind of because when I was younger there was not much to play. Really. Did you write music before you started writing for yourself on marimba? Like in high school did you write? Yep. Yeah I did. I did like but then I was doing like arrangements for our jazz band and stuff. You know so uh -huh. I was doing like I was kind of into that idea because I thought I was going to be a drummer. So um, I was going to be a, a drummer arranger. I thought that was kind of a fun paradigm you know. And then I wrote a multi-piece you know, and things like that. And I actually wrote when I was in high school in the summers, I wrote for like marching percussion sections and got made right, money. Right. So that ranging, that kind of stuff, you know, so. I think we're good. We're good, now. thanks. Um, the coffee lady just stopped by, so. Um, so, but I think it's also the kind of thing where, and you, I think you resonate with this in, in a different way, but it, it, with a similar kind of idea is that I like the idea of being, and I think this probably came from my Eastman days, and even when I was younger, through my family, my dad was a musician, my mother a musician, and right, right. I wanted to be a musician's musician, or just a musician, not just a, a guy that plays really well, or or just any one channel. I wanted to be someone who who could be a musician on a bunch of different levels. I could conduct and feel very comfortable conducting. I could or I can write music and, and have something to say there and, and, and have a contribution there. I can teach and work with students. I can perform. I like that feel, you know. So um, that's what keeps me happy, I think. And that's what keeps me, I think, good at, if you want, I mean, it keeps me, uh, I hate to say good at what I do, but I think it certainly makes me better at what I do and it keeps me in, in the right frame of mind to do it well. Right. Yeah, it's interesting thinking about, well, the trajectory of you and where you are now as um, in doing all of these things. Well, you've, you've been at it for a minute, and so you yeah. have perspective and you have fatherhood yeah. working for you. Because I know for me, like, parenthood changed everything in a fairly profound way. Yeah, no, no question. Um, all of a sudden, it's not just about you. Right, and you realize you relate to the young performers differently. You realize like that you that guidance. I think I remember like the Indiana Jones thing. I remember when I was young and in my twenties, wanting to be a really cool guy percussionist, and then getting into teaching and enjoying teaching, but wanting to kind of be like the cool uncle, maybe, or yeah. like yeah, right, the, the big kid up the street who the like showed you stuff. Right, but then. After after becoming a parent, realizing that the role as a as somebody who guides the futures of people is is not something to be taken lightly, and and it's a well, it's an honor to do it, but it's also there's a lot of responsibility there, especially at a place like Eastman where the kids are like, I want to do what you do, I want to be a musician. Very different than when I taught at Dartmouth, and the kids were like, "I'm smarter than you, teacher." Right. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to run Kellogg someday. But, but can you, you make you me play faster? Just show me how to do these paradiddles better. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, there was some of that at Northwestern. Though there were some great musicians. I mean, Northwestern, when I was there, was in some ways I'm most proud of those 13 years because it was a program that, you know, I, it was always it's a great music school, but, but the program in percussion was fine, and I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but I felt like we were able to really make it a destination place. But also just the people that have come out of there, 
and the time I had with them. And part of it was the interesting confluence of people you had, some very serious focused performers, as well as people that were doing double degrees in journalism or math. Or, and to see them work together, to see all of them achieve on different levels, that was kind of fun because some right. of them are doing great things outside of music and some are doing great things in music. And those are really, it was kind of fun to have that. And now it's like, now they're all here because they really want to be musicians. At least right. initially, they, you know, and, you know, you know, like Northwestern and like schools like Boco, they're paying a lot of money to do this. And so your responsibility yeah, yeah. for that, too, not just that, you know, it's not just that you're, um, you know, it's not uh, it's not just consumerism. You're trying to, you know, support the consumer. But, you know, they're investing in something that's really important and they're trusting you to be their, the person that's going to help them get there, you know. Um, but I think you're right about the responsibility of it. And I think... Um, like I said earlier, that you know, to see where where they go and the relationships that you share ongoing, but also to realize that I think through teaching, my wife always said this, and this shows her wisdom that your biggest legacy will not be your playing. Maybe it'll be your music, but it for sure will be your your students. And I think that's true of anyone. And I think if you look at the great percussionists over history, I don't know what the great percussion, but the people that are that we look at historically as people that have to quote, I think Steve Jobs put a dent in the field or put a dent in the world. Um, we look back at the, at the major teachers from around those institutions that we look up to and, and the students that, the tree of students that came from those major teachers. And um, that's humbling to think that that's a responsibility too. Like, okay, we have a lot of talented students that come and ask us what we think and how, which way they should go in the fork and the road and, um, that's going to affect a lot of other people someday, you know. So, but it's also pretty cool, you know. You can't get caught up in that. You just, like I said, like Indiana Jones, I make it up as I go along. You know? <laughs> oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and now that you're here in Rochester, you've inherited quite a legacy. You're at the helm of one of America's great legacies. They always say Notre Dame and the Eastman School of Music, percussion, right, yeah. I got, I'm going to get JB on here one of these days. You got to get JB on here. Yeah. I saw he's he's actually in Chicago now. Yeah, that's right. I forgot he's at the Midwest, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. JB's fantastic. I mean, that's one thing about coming here that I have to say. John Beck. Um, yeah. I mean, well, I'll, let me say, first of all, by taking over a legacy, one thing that was really fortunate, when I got the Northwestern gig and I was about 32, I'm super pumped to get it and excited. But once I got there and realized, you know, that down the hall for me was like, you know, Vince Chickowitz. Uh, Chris Foley, uh, Ray Still, Fred Hemke, you know, I thought maybe this was, a, maybe I shouldn't be here, you know, <laughs> it was like, what am I doing here, you know, just but, um, but that was a real growing thing and it was good for me to have that experience and to feel like I had to live up to something, not just, a, not really even percussion-wise, just inter institutionally, you know, or, um, but coming here because it was a different time, you know, um, I felt super comfortable coming in here and a confidence in what I thought I had to do and how I was going to do it, which was great, you know. Um, but along with that, what I was really fortunate was to have John Beck be a guy that totally embraced me coming here um, and has been nothing but a support and a gentleman. And I keep him involved, you know, as much as I can because I love having him involved because the students love having him involved. And um, not only has it been great is it, as, you know, taking over the, the reins of, of the of the Eastman percussion legacy, as you say, but just as a friendship, you know, he's been someone that um, it's really been a huge blessing to come here and even have all the time I've had with him, which I didn't even think about, you know. But we've spent a lot of time together. We hang out. We always do New Year's Eve together. We go out in my boat together. We, 
you know, um, I feel really, really fortunate to have had these time, this extra time with John that I wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, so um, it's a great thing. It's like I think we're getting some Barbara Streisand as you're telling the yeah, story. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, that was good because that was kind of a dramatic speech right there, right? Nice. So Barbara sort of accentuated it. I think JB would appreciate that. Yeah, she, I'm sure he'd like Barbara. I got I got his e Christmas card this year. Bex, I didn't get that, man. Yeah, I got a note being like, "Sorry, I'll miss you." Oh, that one. Yeah, that e Christmas card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here is here is some season's greetings. <laughs> Touched me. Yeah, he's a he's a you know he's a good guy for. You know, he's a great example for the, for people like you and I, and for our students that are younger. Just in, you know how to how to retire, how to be uh, graceful in your retirement, and also Ooh, nice. Also, how you can still have an impact in a real positive way. You know, at that at that point in your career, and you're you know. So he's it's a great thing, it really is. Our food has come, but I will say before that, I think about him a lot. Like yeah. the older I get, the more I think about JB. Going back to our earlier thing. Well, one, being a gentleman through and through. Mm -hmm. But two, talking about g getting talented students and not standing in their way. Yeah, oh, yeah. That he, you know, we who know him joke that um, Mike is getting tired of listening to me saying nice things about you, Mr. Beck. Mm -hmm. um, he's salting his eggs. Yeah, but, yeah you got um, to start salting But, now. you know, like, we always laugh about him just telling everybody that they sound good. Right. But in some way, I think he wants to do, he wanted to do no harm to everyone. And say, like, you appear to be going down a road that's very creative and good for you. Right. Keep going. I will nudge you, but mostly, like, keep doing that. Because I know there are students I have now at Boco who are wildly talented and come in with two hours of music to every one-hour lesson. Right. And you're like, yeah, you should do that more. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> that was a little too you loud. You don't want to screw it up. Right. Yeah, exactly. like, yeah, right, like right. I don't it would be a pity to make you sound more sure. like me right now. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's... Yeah. A, and he, he has taught me that that's an art. Yeah, he, JB's the, you know, he's taught you the less is more principle, you know, in, in a sense, you know. Yeah, I think there's always that I mean, balance. I teach great of, stuff. I'm like an awesome teacher. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> I use, it's, you know, it's learning that balance of when do you, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and it's, a, it's a fine balance because it's like, it's, it reminds me of learning early on that not every student wants to be you or right. wants to do it how you want to do it. Like, in other words, you know, when I started Kent State, a very different kind of student. I was trying to get them to see, like, hey, you can do what I'm doing. And after about a year and a half, I thought, no, I, I can't get them to see that because not all of them really want to have a vision for that. And then as you get to a school like Eastern Northwestern or Boca or wherever else you're at, those kind of those kind of schools, there's more students that want to do that, but not exactly like that. And knowing how to kind of nuance and, and finance your teaching to be to help them as individuals. Right. So some need your boot in there behind. Some need you to stay out of their way and once once you push them in the right direction or remind them of things, you know, and everywhere in between that. And that that's yeah, that's a real that's always a challenge, I think. It's an ongoing thing to kind of reassess all the time, you know, with all your students. Okay, so with that, this is the um, first pause in our podcast. Yep, it's a commercial break. While we while we eat, uh, on the menu I have um, poached eggs, corned beef hash. Wheat toast. You have over I have easy, over easy eggs, corn English beef hash, yes. corn beef hash. Yes. And we should say that we've been to the gym already. Yep. We've played basketball, and we've run. And so we're now we're eating like men. Yeah. As men, we've As exercised. Men. I think we're gonna we're probably gonna get to like a French toast dessert after this possibly. There too, might so be. Well, we have more. There's more to talk about. Yeah. So. But now we so, eat. That's it. Cheers.
but we've had a great breakfast. Very satisfying. Oh man, crumby fash, huh? And then you doubled down and um, ordered more food. Yeah, we got we got French toast coming, cinnamon swirl. That's great. It's like you know dessert. It's gonna get us through. We got juries today. We got to listen to. You know what I'm saying? That's true. You know. <coughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bring our off our off mic conversation a little bit onto the mic. Our off mic onto mic is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Which is just to say, I have no answer to the real question you just asked me, but let's have let's let's play with it. Which is just uh, as as guys like us with tummies full of food. Yes. You're getting inspired. You're fired up. Yeah. Your artistic brain fired up. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, sure, give me a splash. As we like to do, sometimes we dream big about stuff. What do you dream about? What do you want to do? What are your hopes and dreams? My hopes and dreams now? Yeah, or just like if you could do anything in the world, what are you, what do you want to do in the next 10 years, 5 years? So here's a, I'll get, get like a couple of different things. And they could be anything. I've got sure. some too, and yeah, I will yeah. share I mine mean, too. Um, build my own recording studio next to my house that could do high level video and audio stuff and I could have complete control of it and bring my friends in to do their stuff and do my stuff and that's one. Number two, have like the equivalent of the Pat Metheny group from Mike Burrett and travel around with, with a bunch of dudes doing a bunch of my stuff, maybe some other things, but and playing it like at a super high level with a, like a super slick show and maybe even adding you know, sort of double downing on the Pat Metheny orchestrion thing, having like some live electronics at times that, you know, that, that come into play to kind of add to it in a hip artistic way. You know, having a summer where I just travel from festival to festival with this group of mine and we're just like throw, throwing down and having just the time of our lives making music. And, you know, for me, that'd be a real, a real treat, you know. So um, those are some dreams. Um, buying a bigger boat. <laughs> Although I love my 26-foot chaparral, it's fantastic. Um, but I want to, I want a, a boat that's I maybe mean not bigger, but or, uh, enough that I can actually someday take my boat and drive it like through New York Harbor from you know to start in Lake Ontario and just drive for two months on my boat down through the Hudson into New York Harbor through the Intercoastal, head down to the Gulf of Mexico on the stops every way. And would I'll do, my own, I'll do a series of podcasts as say, I go. Would, you? You, would your wife come with you, or would she say see you when you're back? No, I think she'd go. She'd be into it. You know, we'd go and we, you know, live on the boat or live off the boat, depending on where we stopped. You know, stop everywhere from like, you know, go down through super cool places like maybe Bethesda and or whatever's on the coast there. You know, or go to what's what's that bay there? Help me, um, Chesapeake, to like you know, you know the Hilton Head area or the there's some cool places along there to like Savannah and you know. Swing it down and go down to the Gulf of Mexico and, you know, say, hey, look what I did. You know, but it'd be kind of fun to do that, I think, you know. Um, so that's recreational. And then maybe write some music along the way or whatever I do because I'm there, you know, um, on my big boat with my wife, you know. And, a good, and a, good, a good solid wine storage section of the boat, you know what I'm saying? So we have that, you know. So with your, what keeps you from having the Pat Metheny group for Mike Brett? You know, that's, that is a really good question. I'm hoping that the French toast, once I have some of that, I can get there. I think what it is, you know, it's like everything, life can get in the way, right? Yeah. So and I think I tell my students this a lot. I, I counsel them about having too much going on and not being able to accomplish some of the things that they really want to accomplish because they're dealing with periphery. You know, it's like living life essentially in a way that's called tyranny of the urgent, right? 
So, um, and some of that, I think, for all of us is inevitable. You're going to have it, right? Um, whether it be just stuff you have to do because you're, you have a job and you got to take care of it, or you have commitments as family, you know, as dad or as husband or whatever. And then, you know, you end up doing what you've always done, which is okay. I've, I've got these five or six trips I'm taking this semester. Summer a week long, summer weekends. I've got these things to do at school. I got this piece I got to write. Boom, boom, boom. And then next semester, the same thing happens. And beautiful. That looks great. Thank you. Um, and, um, and you kind of stay in what you know. You kind of do what you know. You know, which is, I say yes a lot. I probably shouldn't say yes as much as I do. But I love what I do. So I keep saying yes. Um, and um, I think it takes some real forethought to clear out time to get yourself in a position to do the Mike Burrett band. You know, you know what I'm saying to you? And, and a willingness to say, okay, I'm not, this summer I'm not going to do anything else but that. You know, Because this summer there's a whole bunch of other stuff scheduled, as we've talked about, which are all great things including Josephinevale, which is probably my, one of my favorite weeks of the summer, you know. But um, it, it doesn't mean that would, something like that has to go either. That you can work. I know, I know that you can work around things. I think it's just maybe getting someone else to help me do it too. Maybe I, I need someone that's help, help me get the boat going because, you know, my boat, my life is really full. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, it sounds no. like an excuse, doesn't it? But it's, no, no, know. no. I have the same problem. I've been trying to, like... For five years now, I've been trying to. Dude, you gotta have butter on this, though. Don't you think? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta butter yeah, this up. It up. It's hard though with a microphone to butter. You can put it down. Can I? When I'm trying to, not, I don't be rude here. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm, I'm putting the mic down to butter. While we eat. No, it's fine. I'm just tasting it in its natural environment. It's pretty, it's pretty great. But you're taking the French toast and Urtex. Yeah, but now now I'm gonna have an olive burrit. Yeah, the burrit. Yeah, for me, I well, I'm I'm running into the problem. As I think we've shared, you you know, you start your career, you've nothing to do, so you freak out and you do lots of things. Right. Then people start to call you to do things, but they're not the things you want to do, so you freak out and you do those things and you try to get more things, and then you keep doing it until finally you're doing what you want to do. And I feel like for me, there was a sweet spot actually 10 years ago. There was like three really good years where I was not that busy. It was right when I moved to New Hampshire and Jake was little. I was teaching, but not too busy where I could like get up and think about what do I want to do? But since then, I keep getting busy and busy and things are great. But it's now to the point where it's like, what do I have to do tomorrow? And then sometimes things leak out. Like, progress happens. As you say, like, I've got some concerts next year already. That looks nice. I'm going to put out a record, but mostly because, like, I've started to record things because there was a need to record them. I recorded them and I was like, oh, look, there's 50 minutes of music record, but not, like, out of some deep burning desire that I'm going to create exactly the work that I wanted to always have. And I could see that, and so that's been going on for some years now, and I could see it going like this forever. And it's hard to think about how you, 
you slow down to, call, to spend the time. You hate to call time. that a rut because it's like it's all good stuff. And you're it's, in, it's in, not, in some ways, it's not a rut, but it's you're also living the dream in some ways, right? I mean, let's face it, we're both living the dream. I mean, yeah. If someone had told me, you know, thirty something years ago when I graduated from Eastman that here's what you're going to be doing, then like, holy moly, this is fantastic, right? I mean, and, so then, and I still feel that way. I feel like I'm living the dream, you know, but. But sometimes within that dream, you dream above the dream. <laughs> you know, it's like you know you keep you keep going. You know, and and um, and I think the only way you grow too is to keep dreaming above the dream. Actually, you know, you have to. Otherwise, right. you, you know. And um, so even within the rot, there are still things that happen and great, exciting new things that you do, or places that you visit, or pieces that you write, or pieces that you play, and you know. But then there's those big kind of things that take. It, it takes you making a change. And what you know, and what you've all, what you've been doing for a while to, to make those things happen, and, and sometimes it's like there's actually a, I think an insecurity in that. It can feel like oh my gosh, you know. I mean, I remember. This is kind of small, but sorry, my mouth is full. Um, when I was younger, I, I taught if, for. In doubt, you. This is when you'd ask me a question. You get the bite here. Oh, it's true. And then you're like, well, what about? Yeah. Then you. Okay. So next time, make sure you. I remember like. In the late 80s, I taught at Interlochen for a couple summers, which that I was, was super pumped about that opportunity. And, you know, so I did it for two summers. I brought, we had, we had just Jennifer, my young, my oldest was just then, and my wife and I went up there and we spent two summers there. But it was, you know, it was eight weeks then. I think it's a different paradigm now, but it was eight weeks and you had to wear those blue corduroys and, you yeah, know, you did. You know, and uh, which was fine. That wasn't, it was, you know, great students. I met some great students that I still know very well that I was, you know, um, they got to work with there and, um, but I think after the second summer, I made a decision that I wasn't going to do it anymore. And that felt, at the time, like a big decision because I was teaching at Kent. Yeah, and interlocking was kind of a good thing for me to be doing. Like recruiting and... Yeah, and it just looked good. And it was like, you know, I, met, I was getting to rub elbows with like a, a higher echelon student that was... Totally. You know, even at that time, certainly I wasn't going to be getting many of them to be interested in Kent State. But it was good for me to know them. And, but I just said, you know what? I, there's other things I need to be doing with that eight weeks. And so that was a big leap, and then other things happened for me, which was really, like, it, it just filled in and it worked out. You know, like, other opportunities came. And I think sometimes, I think the lesson learned in that, that sometimes I don't always take, although in, 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 in small ways, but is that don't worry. You'll fill it in. Something else will happen, or you'll, right. you know, you're not going to sit around twiddling your thumbs watching baseball all summer or something, you know. So, um, yeah, so I guess... I need to do something like that again, maybe, in some ways, or maybe we both do. And okay, what do I what do I need to stop doing? What what what, what do I need to say no to, or just try for a period of time to say, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do this. Yeah. And try and make this happen. You know. I, mean, I can't. It's, I struggle with that every day. So what I end up doing, if there's something I want to do bad enough, I just make sure somebody like books it. Somebody what? Well, it's like you and I, we're going to, so you and I are going to have this project that's going to revolutionize the, the industry right? The industry and the way people think about yeah. the role of musicians in the world. Mm -hmm. But it really, maybe this solves our problem is that then we make 10 ideas and then wait until somebody says, oh, I'd pay you to do that. And then suddenly you're like, suddenly my schedule is clear to do that. Right, right. Right, because now you have an opportunity to do it. So you just, yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, you're right. Maybe and maybe that is how I deal with it. If I just I just keep trying to, in front of my desk, I have a huge whiteboard. Mm -hmm. So, I put on there like, the big ideas. Right. So I can keep thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully I'll talk about it enough that maybe it'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 
I like that. <clears throat> and, you know, I do that probably with writing because I don't often take time anymore as much, although I'm trying more now to throw ideas down just because I want to. But, you know, it's always someone needs me to write something, ask me to write something, so I write it. So, but that's the way I keep writing because I have a deadline. Like, I have to get this piece done for Escape 10, or I have to get this piece done for this group in Germany, or I have to get... So, therefore, I... There, like you said, now I have to do it. So you make time to do it, you know. Right. And um, that maybe is the answer. You know? It's interesting. It's um, Doug. It's hot here. I, I feel like it's good though. We're 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 sitting in this kind of round booth in the in, in we the, are, and the sun is really coming in here. I have to say. Are you dying? You know? well, no, I'm okay. I'm not dying. I'm, it's good. Though. I feel you know. Maybe it's maybe it's you think it's menopause at my age? Could be, huh? <laughs> I don't know. It could just be the sun. It, it is noon. Sun, yeah, okay. But anyway, I think it's important for I think it's important for anyone to keep keep that going. I think sometimes orchestral musicians that don't, or anyone, college teachers, I shouldn't just I shouldn't just say orchestral musicians, but that sort of get because you get into your thing, you get into the rhythm of your life and the rhythm of your job, and the and if you aren't trying to grow from with that and outside of that and keep going, you can get cynical about that, or and maybe even um, begin to. Certainly, you don't appreciate it as much, you know, and then you lose your your steam and your stride, you know. So I think it's you always it's always good to, even if some of the ideas are maybe never going to happen, to keep p- poking some of those out there for yourself to say, I want to try and do this someday. I want to try and do this someday. But also, maybe you and I are just busy guys, and we like to stay busy. Maybe what say that more time? We like to be busy. Yeah, I do like to be busy. Even though I say I don't, I think I don't know what I would do if I wasn't <coughs> busy. But you know, but you have the boat now, which is good. So maybe there's time that you're right on the boat and you're thinking out there yeah you know i think about um john luther adams the composer he well interestingly you know he he lived in alaska he lived in the middle of to what people like us would consider the middle of nowhere for most of his life and then um yes i'll take a little bit more coffee thank you so much um but then in the last 10 years that he's entered his 60s, actually, it was like turning into his 60s, things took off for him. He got very busy. But he has remained um, very protective of his time and his need to have space to think, which I think has been, I don't think you and I could do it, mm-hmm. but it's admirable that he knows that he needs. Right. He can only be him if he has time to sure. think the big thoughts. That's great. That's great. And I think some of that, too, um, I'm, I'm <clears throat> this may or may not be true, but I think there's, there's truth in you have to be able to do that financially. You have to be able to say, okay, I'm, I don't have to, I don't have to do this, this job that I do that, you know, uh, whether it be the Eastman job or teaching at BOCO or you know, or doing a, you know, whatever you're doing that that sort of sustains me and the family and everything else. You know, if you can say I'm not, you know, um, if you can somehow make that happen, or you make life decisions that says, okay, I'm going to change in right. another way. There, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rely on those things so that I can. So, you know, it's it's not necessarily being able to afford it. It's just start making yourself, putting yourself in a position to to be able to do it if it's a priority. Those are hard decisions. Well, and also for us, maybe maybe to come full circle. The we like the teaching and we want to be Indiana Jones, right? And if you want to be Indiana Jones, that means you're like 
in a room with young people. Yeah. And they're sucking your life force. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're, we're willingly letting them suck away right, our life right, force. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're, but you're getting, I mean, I, I still think there's a lot of, and you, I think you'd agree. You know, we, you know, we, we talk about it being kind of like we're, they're sucking our life force. But I still believe that I probably get more life force than, than I give from the experience. It's, it's tiring. It's exhausting. I think that's right. But it's a different kind of, you know, it's not like you're getting, yeah, it takes a lot of energy. Yeah, but my soul is enriched. Right. If sometimes right. I have to stare at the wall for a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Because in, in some ways, I mean, I do. Well, I, you know, as people, when people ask me how it goes for my job, which I live in Chicago and teach in Boston. Right. So I travel great a distances. A lot of time. You're, in the, you're I, on the airplane a lot. And I am away from my family to do it. Right. And so they ask me, like, is it, is it any good? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Because I would not. Do it if it put myself right. through all of this. But that said, there's something I I love the flight home, mm-hmm. like the zombie. When I hit th- when I push out the door after teaching, and I am just like yeah decompression completely spent. Yep. That that four hours of complete decompression. Yeah. Is but it's a good feeling. It's almost like the feeling you get right after you worked out hard. Yeah, yeah. There's like a high in that. You're, you're tired, yeah, it's but wonderful. you're invigorated. Very peaceful. Feeling invigorated and peaceful. Right. Those are good things, you know. Or it's like, I just had a good practice session. It was hard going in, but it's great on the other end. And it feels great sitting down now and having that beer. And, you know, it's, yeah. Those are, yeah. And the big idea is another funny, well, not funny. Another thing I've been thinking about with that and going to watching your students thrive mm. is it's, uh Eduardo, Leandro, would always say that the best way to learn a piece is to make your student learn it first. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you watch them suffer. You get it in your head. Yeah. You explore the hard parts. Yeah. And then once you've thought about it, then you learn, learn it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, so sometimes even with my big ideas, I must say that indoctrinating my students with the, like, seeds of ideas, yeah. and then you can watch them go kill themselves and make it happen. And you right, go, oh, right. that's so great. I'm so happy that happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're on the sidelines. It's a little different, but... Oh, yeah. But that's, that's no less satisfying. No, no, it's, it's, it's actually in some ways can be more satisfying because you can watch them in their, just how, it, how it, watching them and their satisfaction through the accomplishment or whatever that is, is a great thing, really. Because it's, it's a shared feeling, you know? It's the best, I assume. I think. Because, you know, Cause, you know yeah. you're on stage alone or, well, whatever, yeah, you do your own thing and it's great, but when you're on stage with your students or you're watching them... When you're watching them have the discoveries or go through it. Yeah, it's something about that even feels... When I go and do a recital, I'm kind of like, I got it. Yeah, right. When I'm done, I'm like... Yeah, it may feel like you may have a really great night and it feels good for a day and then it's done. What's next? But the student thing kind of... Somehow it it lasts longer, you know? It stays in there and... Well, and watching them grow and seeing that you helped get them there or... Yeah, you had a hand in it. Seeing them finish big projects. Right. You know, and especially, especially if you're challenging them to do something that they are not sure going in that they can do or even that they want to do maybe sometimes and then at the other end they're like they did it and yeah that was worth it and to see them feeling what it does for their self-esteem or their confidence or their the whole thing that's like the most satisfying of those experiences you know the interesting thing i've been dealing with with boco the students are at a very high level for me even learning where to put the bar for a high-level student because like they've been coming in 
bringing good music. We have good feedback. There's like a very good pace. But recently watching, we sent one of our students was in that Trump competition. Oh, Trump, yeah, right. Um, and he killed himself for like prepare, To prepare for that. Yeah. Prepare for it. Went through so much doubt, so many hours of work. Learned more music than he thought he could learn in a small amount of time. Didn't advance or win or anything, but came back trans completely transformed. Went from kind of like, you know, one of the, a cool guy in the studio to like a self-possessed. He looks like he's like pro and kind of killing it now. But without that, I wouldn't have pushed him that hard. Yeah. And that's, I, there's things like that. Yes. I, that's why. I'll so how can you inj inject that into the teaching while being healthy, keeping people healthy and happy? And because I feel yeah. like in my past, I, I was pushed, but in more of like a. I'm a withholding parent kind of a way. Like unrequited love kind of like... Like I will never tell you it's good enough. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's a fine... I think everyone motivates differently. I mean, I, I tend to be... I have high standards and push and sometimes can really be a butt kicker. But I also, I think what they know is that the student knows that you're in it with them. So like, I'm also the guy that's celebrating. And I, I, I would have to say, I don't know that my students... I would hope they would say, I think I'm more... Two thirds or more on the on the on the positive side. No, you got, it's getting loud in here. Um, We're gonna wrap up in a sec. Uh, um, but I think it goes back to you and I talked about this earlier too. I think as a teacher, I think your job, one of your jobs, whether it be coaching a group or working with an individual, is getting them to have the buy-in. Um, whether it be on a on a small level, like here's a buy-in, you need to practice stick control, and here's why, and have them buying in that they understand why and they're gonna do it. To you need to learn the Druckmann, and here's why. Two, you need to audition for this, and here's why. Two, you know, it gets bigger and bigger. Um, so that if they buy in, the whole, the whole bottom line comes from you, you, you have to want it more than I want it, you know. And because um, you and I wanted it for ourselves more than anyone else wanted it for us. And not that, not that our teachers didn't want it in, a, in, a, in the correct way for us, but they can't want it. As, you have to want it more than them. Right. And so you have to help your students understand that or encourage them in a way and get them to see that, um, experience that. And some of them have it already, and some of them don't understand that. They have it on a certain level, um, and some of them struggle with that. So I think that's, in some ways, aside from all the executive skills that we teach them about how to make good sounds and how to how to practice and how to learn this piece and how to hold the sticks and the four mallets and all the basic stuff is teaching them what it means to own their playing, own their career, you know, and all of that. Because once that happens, like that that guy you're talking about, he he wouldn't have done that unless he decided to own it, right? Once they own it, then you can push them pretty hard, I think. You know, yeah. You know, I think that then they can you push them even harder. You know, right. And I've seen like, especially with my groups, like, okay, we get to a pretty high level and they feel pretty good about it. And then I can come in and go, hey, you know what? Now this, 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 and this. They're like, oh my gosh, there's more. You know, and then they're like, holy. And then they get excited because they can see it reaching a level that's like, man, I didn't realize I could fly this high. Right. You know? And um, yeah. So to me, it's it's a balance of that um, with them and. And also, just, I think, yeah, just understanding that your, your job is to get them to, to have that vision for themselves and to buy in. And, you know. and it just doesn't, like, doesn't always work, though. You know? I mean, it's not like it's 100% success rate, right? You know? Yeah, which I, 
And again, well, I think and with that, if I can also teach a student that like maybe you don't really want to do this at this level, and if you can think for yourself and come up with another path for yourself, that's as valid as anything. Absolutely. I mean, that yeah. was a big, I got that, uh, Jim Cully gave me that in spades. I remember asking him when I was a student, kind of wondering what his Methodist madness was. And he was like, he was like, yeah, I don't think I care if everyone's a musician. I just want people to be successful in life. I think that's very and true. As long as we can, you know, so I, I like to talk about taking ownership. I want my students to take ownership for the music, but then hopefully they can take ownership for their life. Whatever, whatever that is. Yeah, and I think that's, that's one of the hardest parts about being a, a teacher is, uh, is being able to have those difficult talks, but which are actually the most important talks. To say, you know, this isn't for you, maybe. Or I think you should finish this degree, but I think we need to look at where or you're like, going. why are you doing this degree? Yeah. What well, do you want to do in five years? And, and, yeah, and those are, but, you know, the older I get, the, I have an easier time with it. Because I used to, when I was younger, I was always, I wanted everyone to like me, and I wanted to be, you know, I'm still a people pleaser. That's kind of my nature, but... Um, I think any good leader um, isn't, I, isn't doing anything because people are going to like them. You have to do what you think is the right thing to do. And then the more you do it, it's almost like, like you get used to it. And so I'm okay with making them feel uncomfortable or bringing up things that they're not so happy that I'm bringing up. Because they get in the long run, you, I really believe that, that that's the only way to do it, the only way to be. Yeah, and I, sometimes I'll, I like to talk about, for those kids, saying, like, I support you. So you want to get into music school? You want to get into this odd, this festival? Let's do that. You want me to help you figure out how to go get an MBA or how to get a science degree? I will support you there Let's too. Right. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna. I'm not gonna turn into some weird. Right. I judge you for not playing your snare drum. Let's figure it out. I think that's the most important thing. That like, and it's hard to. It sounds altruistic, but like, you have to want it for them, not for yourself. And. I guess I'd like to think that that's who I am. Um, uh, and I think it shows in how you are with your students over a long period of time because you want it for them. Uh, you, you're not, you know, yeah, sure, when your students are successful, it's great. You know, because, you know, I always tell them, your job is to make me look good. And if you do, it's going to work out for you, you know. So, I mean, <laughs> and I say that joking, but I'm serious. But the bottom line is um, you want it for them. And so what you want for them is that is that good life or the or the right thing to be happening, you know. And it's like it's like if, it's like it goes back to yourself when you're younger and you're trying to achieve something, whether it be to get a good grade in math or to practice hard to get into like the Eastman School of Music or something. And if you want that to, to get approval from your parents, and it's really not because you want it as much for yourself, it's never going to work. It doesn't work. It, you can't sustain that kind of you can't sustain that kind of. Uh, place I guess right, right. yeah you have to you know so I think the same thing's true on the other side of it is the teacher you can't sustain it making it about you you got to make it about them and you got to want what you got to want what's best for them the end of all things it all comes out in the wash the right way okay wow. well with that yeah maybe we should can this huh um wrap this well, I think this was fun thank you for this blast and um because this feels about right like you know we talk about kids we talk about music but then talk about like yeah what's one. next and what's good for everybody. Absolutely. It was fun to share. Yeah. And, um, and it's great to have good colleagues that you can share with and learn from and both, both share with in a way like, hey, I'm struggling with this. What do you think? Or, hey, man, I have this great studio. I'm so excited about it. And I have a colleague that can celebrate that with you. And, hey, what are you guys doing? I, what, what pieces are you doing? You can learn from each other on every level. It's just like when you're in school having your colleagues, you learn from them. 
it's, it's important when you're professional to have those colleagues too that you can you can bounce ideas off of learn from go to for advice all that kind of stuff it's good okay Merry Christmas Happy live New from Year. live from the frog pond cheers <laughs> Thank you.